The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, something terrible has happened. This was an email reply I received in November of 2012. The story begins by this. A young seminarian, not me, was out at the store and decided to send a house-wide email to all 176 seminarians asking whether anyone needed a phone charger. A gross misuse of the house-wide email system. A very passionate deacon decided to reply to this seminarian to let him know his error. However, the email automatically replies all. So everyone, 176, saw said deacon's reply. Within 30 seconds, we received this message. Brothers, something terrible has happened. The deacon, in, in all reality, was attempting to offer correction, guidance, insights for this young seminarian. However, misappropriately did so. So the gospel we hear today is an outline. It's a guideline for us in how we are to handle conflict, how we are to handle confrontation even. Jesus lays it out very clearly, and we hear it in the first reading and in the second reading, very clear guidelines on what we should be doing, what we should not be doing, and then how to do that, at least if there's uh, an effect with one to another. So thinking about this, yesterday I, I was able to help lead a retreat in Fort Wayne, and the retreat was on the joy in surrender. What does it mean to surrender, and how do we find joy in surrender? So I, I defined what joy is, I defined what surrender is, explained some, some basic nuances to all that. But there was a, a point that really elevated what I am going to preach on today, which is when we surrender things, 
the kind of the four categories I emphasized are we should surrender our self-will so that we recognize not everything has to be done just by ourselves, that we actually need others in our lives, primarily God, to aid us. We should surrender our pride or any type of sin that we struggle with. We should surrender our opinions. And opinions are a challenging one because we all have an opinion. We all have a thought. We all have a creative mind. And there's a difference that has to be discerned about the subjective opinion versus the objective truth. And then lastly, we're called to surrender our suffering. And suffering can come about through physical realities, you know, pain, illness, sickness, whatever. Suffering can come about through emotional or mental realities, right? Anxiety, depression, anything in that capacity. And suffering can also come about spiritually. Just our prayer, our dryness, uh, lack of uh, uh, response, what would appear from the Lord. And so in this surrender, self-will, pride, opinion, suffering, thinking about what the Lord commands us to do today as far as entering into conflict or confrontation, going back to the person first. If that doesn't work, take witnesses. If that doesn't work, go to the church. If that doesn't work, treat them as Gentile or tax collector. It's also important to recognize that we also have expectations. I have expectations for the church, for the parish, for you. You should have expectations for me. But where conflict can begin to arise is the expectation is assumed. And so I would assume you know what I'm thinking, which Trust me, none of you want to get in my brain anytime soon. But we assume that someone knows what we expect of them. And that's just not always fair, nor is that just. And so sometimes expectations have to be further clarified or explained. And at the same time, this distinction of whether or not we like something or if we're willing to accept something. Again, praying through this and, and giving this, this retreat, I, I realize I owe all of you a, an apology. I don't think I've been as joyful as I have in the past because there's expectations I have which I don't think are being met, and so therefore I'm assuming you know them when in fact you may not, and then I get upset. And I... Well, my mom at least tells me I have a very visual face, so I can probably like look angry at times when I'm not angry, I'm just sad or disappointed. But even if I am that, and I'm like, why aren't they figuring it out? Maybe there's an error I've made, right? And it's important to recognize that, yeah, priests make errors. All of us make errors. We are all sinners. But are we willing to grow? Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to change? And that was another big part is we have to believe in surrendering of the, of the stuff of our lives that change can occur. Now, I'm not sorry for the expectations I've set, but I'm sorry if in the expectations I've set, I've not given clarity or I've responded in a non-joyful way to that problem. 
I mean, it, it happened this week, right? There were some parishioners, they were working on something, they were doing very good stuff. Their hearts were in the best places ever. And there was this expectation I had about communication, and it didn't happen, and so I got angry. But did I ever clarify that communication? Probably not. And so I reacted in a way that I should not have. And that wasn't good, right? That, that's a, that's a non-joyful situation. But the last couple of weeks, we've also been talking about the precepts of the church, right? The, the bare minimum that the church asks of us to grow in relationship with God and others. And so I think I've made that fairly clear, like the expectation, not just, and that's the thing is, sometimes it's important to discern, are the expectations we set are opinions that are subjective or are they, again, objective truth? So, like, how many times have I preached about the importance of going to Mass? Probably as many times as I get a chance to preach. Is that my opinion? No. That's a church expectation. And so we preach on it because it's important. The same thing about going to confession. Right? Is that my opinion? Well, the opinion that's subjective is the frequency of confession, right? Some people might need to go to confession once a week. Some it might be once a month. Every, some people might be a couple of months, whatever. But we know that it shouldn't be more than a year. At the same time, expectations of how we, or how we act within a church, right? And, and it's like, okay, how do I prepare myself? Do I make it on time to Mass? Am I late? And again, there are, there are nuances there. Am I perpetually late, right? Maybe there's something there that should be addressed versus like the occasional late. But am I showing up? Am I staying for the whole mass? I see everything up here. I see when people leave. And maybe it's not been clear about that expectation or past circumstances have impaired that. So again, I know there's some people out there that have different opinions. I'm just going to say this because I need to be as clear as possible. The church mass, right? And maybe, let's say, even before that, even before that, here we go. Maybe we need to change our expectation of the length of mass. I'm going to probably destroy that clock someday because I hate that clock, honestly. Actually, I don't hate it. I don't hate things. I highly dislike that clock. Okay. There, I've said it. So at some point, someone take that clock down for me. Because Mass shouldn't be about a time. Okay, I get you want me to start on time. I know I'm past. I haven't started on time sometimes. Give me a break. All right, I'm human. But Mass is about the encounter with Jesus. And so if I'm going to Mass, who cares if Mass is 45 minutes? Who cares if Mass is an hour 15? We are here for Jesus. And so maybe we need to tailor that expectation for ourselves. But in regards to the Mass, right, the Mass starts. We have the opening hand. We do everything. We do all the stuff. We get to the, the end. And technically speaking, if we are being super legalistic, which we shouldn't be always, the Mass has concluded when the priest says, go in peace. Now, why are we in such a hurry for Maybe we need to change the expectation of, have I given thanks to God for what I just encountered? Maybe I should give a prayer of thanksgiving at the conclusion of all this. When the hymn is done and 
people starting to disperse out, it still was one of the things that shocked me most in seminary. I got, we got done with Mass, and every guy basically in the, in the church like knelt down, and I'm just sitting there like, what is happening? I was so confused. I thought I had missed some type of teaching in the Catholic Church. Like I had lost some, like, there's like a special prayer you do. And I went to the spiritual director. I was so concerned. I said, what are they doing? He said, they're just offering a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm like, okay, cool. What's that prayer? Teach it to me. He's like, it's not a particular prayer. It's your own speaking to the Lord of giving thanks to what you've just received. I said, so I can pray anything? He's like, yeah. He's like, do I have to pray something? No, but it's probably good. And from there, I started praying the, uh, the St. I think it's the St. Charles breastplate or St. Patrick breastplate. I don't remember which one it is, but it's a, a prayer. But do we, have I just assumed that you know that? Maybe you did, maybe you don't. I don't know. But so like, here's an expectation, right? Am I offering thanks to the Lord at the conclusion of Mass or am I trying to run out into the parking lot to beat the massive amount of Wabash traffic? I mean, we've all seen the traffic, okay? Unless there's a train, it's really not that bad. So here's the thing, right? I'm sorry. Really, authentically, I'm sorry if I have come off as less than joyful because there's an expectation I have that I've not communicated or there's an assumption I've made that's not fair because you don't even know about the assumption. There was a, a person one time, they came to Mass, and I don't remember if it was here or somewhere else, but I found out later that they were really turned off with how I interacted with them at the end of the Mass. You know, people are coming out, I'm saying hi, I'm shaking hands, I'm, I'm kissing babies, I'm not kissing the babies. But I'm shaking hands, we're doing all this stuff, and I said, hey, how's it going, God bless, have a great weekend. And they were like, Father was so abrupt with me. I don't even think he wanted me there. It's the end of Mass. There's a bunch of you I'm trying to say hi to. Like, so, I, yeah, we can't always control that. But I wish that person would have come and told me. I wish they would have come and explained the fault I caused. And so for all of us, right, this is a great learning opportunity. Are we going to the individual first? Are we acknowledging like, hey, there's something here that's not great and, and you need to fix it? Now, again, is it an opinion, a self-will, a, a pridefulness? So, again, what has to be surrendered? And when we surrender the things of ourselves, we're going to find great joy. And, and that's the thing. We've talked how often about the beauty of having kids at the Mass, right? And so they're, cry they're crying. It's all good. But we've all surrendered that. Because we know there's a goodness in having young life in the church. So that's not an area where St. Bernard's will ever struggle, I think. Other places, I've seen it. People give people stink eyes. And it's like, calm down. You were once the crying baby, all right? But like, that's not an area that we have to deal with because we've surrendered it. We have joy. So do we go back to the person that we struggle with? And if, if we've done that and it's not working, are we taking along some witnesses? Are we providing some substantial proof like, hey, here's been the issue. That deacon 
again, the beginning of this, if, if it had gone well, he would have just hit reply one and been able to talk to that guy. And that would have been great. But because he replied all, he acknowledged his error and he had to publicly fix his error. Here's the thing I love about the fourth step, and you're going to hear it in the, in the bulletin. Before we jump to the fourth step, we need to complete the first step. But think about the Gentiles and tax collectors. Jesus, again, is telling this to his disciples. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat him as a Gentile or tax collector. What did Jesus do with Gentiles and tax collectors? He sat with them. He ate with them. He didn't lower himself to their level, but he challenged them, maybe through an expectation, to rise to his level. He, he does call them to change, to conversion. And so I think we can hear that passage and think, okay, if I treat them like a Gentile tax collector, I'm just going to write them off. I'm just going to dismiss them. And again, discernment requires a certain amount of, of prayer to say what's healthy for myself and, and other people. But even Jesus remains with the tax collectors, calling them to conversion. Where there's another line in here that we maybe need to re-examine a little bit is the very end when it says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I think too often when people hear this passage, they've interpreted it as, oh, wherever two or three of us are gathered, there's a church there. Like that's, that's my community. That's my, my, my faith. And it's like, no, we still actually need like the physical church and the body and the church and the humans of the church, and we need all of this. So again, the context, why is he saying this after he's just talked about dealing with conflict and, and resolution? Because when we go to that individual, one and one, two people, I'm in the midst of them. I'm present to be in that, in that conflict where the witnesses come in, three or more. Jesus is saying that he's always present in our interactions so that when I go and I deal with this conflict, it's not just me by myself and my own personal opinion. God is present and I need to call on his aid. I need the Holy Spirit to assist me, to provide me the words, the knowledge, the insight, so that when I speak, when I act, it's not just my will, it's his will this idea of surrender again. So I just want to end with this. This is, um, I found this online. Some of you have probably found it as well. And it's a beautiful just idea of that surrender. I asked God to take away my habit. God said no. It is not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to heal my handicapped son. God said no. His spirit is whole. His body is only temporary. I asked God to give me patience. God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted. It is learned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said no. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. 
I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no. You must grow on your own, but I will prune you and make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no. I will give you life so you may enjoy all things. I asked God to give me love, help me to love others as he has loved me. God said, yes. Now you have the idea. Brothers and sisters, we ask God for lots of things, and he says no, and yes, and not yet. But oftentimes, he's doing so so that we can remain reliant and dependent upon him, that we actually can see things in a different way, that with our habit, we actually have to surrender it. With our pains, our sufferings, some of it's just temporary. With our patience, we actually should call upon the virtue of docility, that it's his will and not ours. Even happiness is a choice. Pain draws us closer. Our spirit, as it grows, will always be pruned by him so that more fruit can be born from us. It's when we start asking him to help us be like him where we're going to find the greatest change. To ask him for his eyes, his ears, his words, his heart, that we can do these things. I deeply love all of you, and I will continue to do better. And I just ask that for all of us, our expectations, our assumptions, our conversations, we be as transparent as possible. That, that we meet each other where each other is, because we never really know where each other is fully. And when we do that, we're doing it not with our hearts, not with, not with anything of us, but everything of God, because God is the center of our lives.